So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership, and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello, and welcome to this mastermind episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. I must start with an apology for not getting this episode out to you last week. I had an amazing but very demanding week with four keynote events with clients, including a trip to Amsterdam. So I just couldn't do it justice. Nothing to do with the trip to Amsterdam, of course. Uh, It was just full on. And I often speak about work-life balance, and I think I'd have both been frazzled and produced a crap episode to meet the deadline. So I pressed pause. Anyway, we're here today and England have just won the third test against New Zealand with Johnny Bairstow and Joe Root entertaining the home crowd with some remarkable stroke play and belligerence. It's brilliant to see this seismic shift in mindset with the new coach, McCullum, and Stokes, the new captain, when they've taken over. So I'd love to know if there's been a more transformational change in performance from a a new leader taking over. Drop me a note on LinkedIn. There's a bit of a debate going on my feed and uh, also to hello at sportingedge.com if you're on email, uh, if you've got any examples that can rival it, because I, I can't think of too many, and it's certainly brilliant to watch. And I hope you are well, wherever you are in the world, and we're definitely in for a treat to liven up your car trip, your coffee break, or your dog walk. And as Wimbledon takes over centre stage from Glastonbury this week, here's a sample of what's inside the mind of today's champion. I first discovered tennis on holiday actually and uh, I'd never picked up a racket before. We were on a family holiday in Spain and I just absolutely loved it. To me, when I look back, I think in tennis, the psychology of it is absolutely the top. It's everything in it. And then I distinctly remember playing a few matches where I started hyperventilating on the court and I couldn't control my breathing because I was getting so emotionally wrought with trying to win. It was just this realisation one day, I just thought, you know what, I just, I need to just stop. <laughs> and, um, and the day that I made that decision, it was like this massive weight just lifted off my shoulders. Nothing will happen unless I make it happen. I'm going to now knock on as many doors as I can and create as many opportunities for myself as I possibly can. Because if I sit at home and mope and just think negative thoughts about how depressing everything is, then nothing will happen. 
That's the voice of former British number one tennis star Annabel Croft, and her story is absolutely fascinating. So let's start right at the very beginning and find out how Annabel first discovered tennis. I first discovered tennis on holiday actually, and uh, I'd never picked up a racket before. We were on a family holiday in Spain. And I think there was some group coaching going on in the hotel court and my parents just put me into it and I just absolutely loved it. Couldn't get me off the courts and then entered a little tiny tournament. I was only about nine years of age and I lost something like six love, six love. <laughs> and I came back home and said to my mum, you know, that I really wanted to carry on playing. And we found um, the local tennis club, and I still remember it to this day, the, the lessons were 50p, and I went with my 50p in the pocket, and I just had group sessions every day of the holidays, and just couldn't get me off the court. I absolutely loved it. And um, at the time I was doing ballet and riding and doing lots of other sports, but all of a sudden my whole kind of dedication and focus just was to hit tennis balls. So it sounds like when Annabelle first picked up the racket, it changed her life. It's amazing the impact that sport can have on somebody's life at such an early age. I remember as a youngster myself in cricket feeling the same sensation when I played. It felt amazing to hit the ball and the allure of learning a new skill through experimentation and play in a really safe practice environment was amazing. Even when Annabelle lost, she wasn't deterred and she still was motivated to come back. With every coaching session, you feel yourself growing. I was actually moving some boxes around in the loft the other day and I found this box and dusted it off and found my very first pair of batting gloves, which my parents had kept for me, thankfully. They're tiny and they were given to me by an older friend who lived up the road. And I wore these stinky old gloves in bed every night for weeks. I was so excited to be wearing them. They were hanging over the bed sheets like I was waiting for a manicure. But in the summer holidays, I'd play all day and all night with my brother. And I'm sure that sheer volume of practice accelerated my development. I think giving kids an opportunity to try new things, lots of them, whether it's music, sport, dance, singing is a magical thing to offer, these gateways into their future. You never know when they're going to get the bug and what causes it, as Annabelle now reflects on. I have no idea when I look back what it was about it. I just, I don't know, I just had a natural instinct to be able to hit the ball and I just enjoyed, yeah, just trying to <laughs> just whack it. Um, I don't know, because when I watch tennis players now, I always think there's a little bit of everybody's personality in the way that they hit the ball. And I suppose, actually, when I think about tennis, it's a very creative sport, as well as being athletic. It's a very beautiful sport. Um, but, you know, it's very mentally challenging as well. So I was obviously a very, very determined child. And, you know, I always grew up with an older brother who I kind of, you know, never let him win at anything. And, um, and I guess it gave me an outlook for that competitive side of things, but also... I just absolutely loved it. It's really, really weird when you've asked me that question because I've never thought about it before, but I can't imagine what it was that, that grabbed me, but something did. So timing, luck and skill are all really important, but it's this passion, this spark of passion that's the key in any high-flying career because we need to work so hard to make it through the ranks. But as Annabelle discovered, those playful smiles and determined rallies would get her noticed ahead of her peers 
And soon she'd find herself in a very different world, being accelerated along the conveyor belt of talent in that pathway. Yeah, I distinctly remember playing some junior tournaments and, well, I remember my very first match back in England, I also lost that six love, six love, and my mum thought I was never, ever going to pick up another racket again. And I was, I shocked her apparently by saying, no, 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 I want to carry on playing. And then I started to like organise my own practice. Um, you know, I started sort of linking up with different local people that were belonging to the club and arranging lots of practice sessions and playing actually every day. So from that early age, it was quite a focus for me and nobody else was organising. I was organising all these practice sessions. And then um, my mum organised me to have some private lessons because the coach had picked me out and said, I think your daughter's got a little bit of talent for it and she needs to be playing more and developing her skills and everything. Um, and then I distinctly remember playing a few matches where I started hyperventilating on the court and I couldn't control my breathing because I was getting so emotionally wrought with trying to win. And, at some, and I was only about 11 actually, and I can still remember this day panicking about playing a particular match the next day and not being able to breathe. And then when I got on the court, hyperventilating and um, finding it really stressful. And my mum was quite worried about it, thinking, you know, what are we doing here? This is, this is quite, st quite a lot for a child to cope with. Um, but it was almost like I'd been drawn into it and I didn't know how to get out of it. Uh, but anyway, then I entered the Nationals under 12s, um, which was then held in Eastbourne, and just out of the blue, won it. And I was a complete, real unknown actually, and I won it. And from that moment, letters arrived from the post from the Lawn Tennis Association, you know, we want to invite you into the national training programme. And then, of course, it was so exciting because I was being invited to Bisham Abbey to train every weekend. I would spend sometimes weeks at a time training there. And I was also then representing Great Britain internationally from the age of 12. So when I look back, life was really fast. I mean, I was just playing in Sweden. I was getting on ferries to Holland, Germany, France. So it was not a normal childhood at all. And yet the more that I was getting involved in all of that, it was really exciting. And I can remember all my friends were going off to parties and you know, doing things what teenagers do and meeting boys and having a normal childhood. And I remember thinking, well, I don't care about all of that. I, don't, I want to be different and I want to do it differently. And, um, you know, that just didn't even figure for me and never, never ever did, actually. Maybe I've missed out this whole chunk of my life. But, um, yeah, that side of my childhood just didn't exist. And... Um, Actually, when I look back on it, I didn't actually have an education either. So I left school at 15 and went off to America and just hit tennis balls every day. Holidays didn't exist. I never went on holidays until I actually came off the tour. So it's, you know, that whole childhood thing is just one great big bubble. It's amazing how things change. Annabelle had gone from a carefree kid playing multiple sports and activities to a focused young star who was starting to feel that weight of expectation building around her. Panic attacks were a physical symptom of the thinking patterns, which were starting to become a more daunting rival than those she faced on court. But she was in the system now, and if she was going to make it big, you need to make big sacrifices. So the next challenge was to set out on the global circuit, which opened up many life lessons for our young star. 
I was so driven as an individual. It's funny because I can see the same characteristics coming through in my daughter now, who is actually just so tunnel vision. I'm thinking, wow, she just reminds me of me. And I, um, you know, I used to go out to America at 16 and travel on these great long six to eight week tours. And I'd be staying in digs, in host families, um, booking my own flights. I'd be, I can still remember standing at Greyhound buses in bus stations in America at like three o'clock in the morning with a whole bunch of tramps and all sorts of odd bods, you know, smoking weed. And, you know, I remember thinking, God, if my parents could see what I was doing right now, but all I was trying to do was get to the next venue to play the next tournament. Um, just in the cheapest way possible, because obviously I was managing my own finances and career and everything. So um, if I could get to the next tournament a little bit cheaper and have some more money to pay for the next bit of expenses to the next one, then that's how you did it. Or I take um, red eyes across America. I spent hours actually, because in those days you didn't have mobile phones or computers. So I just spent hours on the phone, which was, when I look back on it, completely time wasting, but trying to, you know, arrange flights and cheapest way of traveling but you know you look back and you think well actually that's just part of the fun of it <laughs> quite character building it certainly wasn't glamorous <laughs> well we all see Wimbledon and think life is all private jets and limousines for the players but picture the scene of a 16 year old girl clattering from city to city at night time just for the opportunity to shine it demands huge resilience and determination, and I'm sure many people fell away at that very early stage. Not only is this quest physically exhausting with the tennis itself, but it's also a massive test of our character. After all, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So as the athletes reach their physical prime, the competitive edge shifts from everything being about physical strength and height and physical prowess to something far less obvious that very often doesn't get talked about. And certainly in the era when Annabelle was coming through the ranks, there wouldn't have been many sports psychologists on hand to support the athletes, to get a rounded perspective of performance and get all the skills they needed to be as mentally strong as they were physically strong. To me, when I look back, I think in tennis, the psychology of it is absolutely the top. It's everything in it, because um, if you go down to the practice courts and you watch all the tennis players on the pro tour playing, you'll see very little difference in any of them. All their techniques are sound. There's not much difference between them. They're all great athletes. So, of course, when you put them in a one-to-one -one kind of head-on battle, it's very gladiatorial, and what will matter is who has the greatest strength of mind against the opponent. So it's like watching deers rutting in the park, and they'll keep rutting for a period of time, and then it's who will cope better in the most highly pressured situations. And it was in this area of the game where Annabelle encountered her biggest opponent, where at certain points on the professional circuit, it was the voice in her own head that was louder than any crowd in the stadiums. We shared a few stories of the psychological and physiological feelings that you get when you're under pressure in front of massive crowds. And I wondered if it was her losing control of this early, calm, ordered world that she'd created, which added to the pressure. She'd moved from being high in potential to being high on expectation to deliver. And the judgment of others was ever present. I think you've knocked it on, you've knocked it on the head. It was the fear of being judged by other people. And it was the fear that I couldn't control what was going on. So... If you have an opponent and they're 
exposing things out there. It was the fear that I couldn't control it. And when you get, if you get nervous and you start to get shackled, you have, the energy that's running through your body is so, um, what's the word, the adrenaline is so uptight, you don't flow and everything then becomes like disjointed. So instead of just smoothly hitting a ball, everything starts to get really um, disjointed and shackled and you can't hit through the ball. And then if you can't hit through the ball, you have no power. And then your focus becomes on that rather than the tactics of what you're trying to do to match. Everything becomes magnified. And, and it's just, I just wanted to run away and hide and just get as far away from being in that situation as possible. And of course it was like going out on stage every time. It was awful. Now, the great thing about elite sport is that despite the rivalries, there's definitely this family bond where you'll always look out for each other. And that lasts for a lifetime. We'll all experience the highs and lows. And I've found very few people to be completely unapproachable. Often it's quite the opposite. And this was Annabelle's experience when the great Chris Everett made a very special offer on a plane trip. You've reminded me that Chris Everett actually was incredibly helpful to me uh, one year on the tour when I was sitting on a plane and uh, this note was passed back from the front uh, to me. And I, of course, for me, Chris Everett was my idol. And the fact that she had passed this note back saying, you know, I still believe in you and I know you're going through a really tough time. But if you'd like me to help you with your training or show you what I do, then I'd love to, to help you. And I did take her up on it. And I've forever been um, eternally grateful for the fact that here was this great champion, a world number one, somebody at the top of her field that was willing to give across information to a young junior. And I always think, you know, it's, it's really nice. And if you can do that for somebody else, it's quite special. I love that story. And it's an iconic star taking the time to send a handwritten note to one of her opponents who she knew was struggling at that particular time. It's brilliant to hear and it's exactly what we should all aspire to do. Keep an eye out for those people around us and just drop them a note. It may be a text message in the modern world, but just to help them on the journey and to know that they've got support around them. It can be truly transformational as I'm sure it was for Annabelle on that plane. So I'm just going to pause there for a second and ask if you've activated your free one month membership to Sporting Edges Members Club yet. If you're already a member, then you'll probably want me to keep this a secret because you'll want your team and your business to be the only ones who can have this uh, resource and this competitive edge uh, ahead of your rivals. But that's not really fair. And I founded Sporting Edge to translate the lessons from these elite performers, whether it's from sport, business, the military, uh, academia, to give those insights to you so that you can accelerate your own personal and team development as we go forward. There's so many challenging issues going on at the moment. So whether it's personal resilience, diversity and inclusion, driving more innovation across your team, understanding neuroscience and well-being, all of those elements are covered in this incredible library of content. So once you've activated your membership, you can reflect on all of these different insights by typing in a keyword like purpose or resilience or sleep or whatever it might be. And you can also use these short two minute videos with the little toolkit that we've developed to start one of your meetings, whether it's virtual or in the room. So go to sportingedge.com forward slash membership. And then as you set out your 
profile, just enter podcast 100 into the discount code box and you'll get a free month. There's no credit card. There's no sales hassle. Just an open door to one of the most diverse insights library that many of the FTSE brands are using to power their virtual and face-to-face performance conversations. So I really hope you'll take up that opportunity to set up your trial today. You can use it from your sun lounger on your phone and they're all bite-sized insights. So you can even drink a pina colada as you learn. So what could possibly go wrong? So I really hope you'll take me up on that offer for the Sporting Edge Members Club. And once you've set up your profile, I'll see you inside. So let's dive right back into this important stage of Annabelle's career. From her perspective, this is a hugely talented athlete who's made it to the very top level, but she still had ambitions to get even higher. But now the enjoyment has started to wane. The battle is as much with herself as her opponents, and it's become attritional. How long can you keep this act going? To most people, you're living the dream. But living it yourself feels very different. I know at times when I was playing, I hoped I'd get injured to take me out of the scrutiny. I was low on confidence and not playing well. But you want to be anywhere apart from in the spotlight. And then you have that added guilt of knowing that you're not coping and you want to get out of the way. It can actually reach a dark and frustrating place when you lose all your confidence. The crowds and the cameras are there waiting. And the headline writers, unlike you, have nothing to lose. So it takes huge courage to do something to change this. But after much deliberation, that's exactly what Annabelle did. Yeah, so I wrangled for about, I don't know, two years really, this sort of um, realisation that perhaps I was doing something that was making me desperately unhappy and that I actually was not not going down the pathway I needed to be going down. And I had, um, it was really very, very difficult time because I had uh, obviously my parents who dedicated enormous amounts of time and energy into my tennis career. I had a coach uh, that had given away so much of his time to me. I had signed up five-year contracts with different um, sponsorships. Um, I had uh, managers, agents, you know, quite a big thing around me. And it was just this realisation one day, I just thought, you know what? I just, I need to just stop. <laughs> and um, and the day that I made that decision, it was like this massive weight just lifted off my shoulders. And I felt quite liberated. And I never, ever doubted it for one minute from that moment on. And during the last, I don't know, 30 odd years or something, the amount of people that have come up to me and said, oh, why did you stop so late? Do you regret it? And I always say, not at all, not for one second do I regret stopping at the age of 21. I have uh, believed in that decision all the way through and I realised it was the right decision for me and I applied the same uh, energy, positivity, um, you know, what dedication to the career that I've now had and I've used all the negative experiences that I had on the tennis tour into a, a different pathway and it's worked out. I, can't, I have to pinch myself with what I do now. Can you imagine making that announcement to your parents, your team and your sponsors when you're living the dream to reveal that it was actually more like a nightmare than a dream and that you wanted to change direction completely at such a young age 
with no education and no parallel career to jump into. The risks were so high, but as you can hear in Annabelle's voice, she felt a huge burden being lifted as soon as she made that brave call. Now she was free. Annabelle had won Junior Wimbledon and a Junior Australian Open. She'd become the British number one and made the top 25 players in the world at senior level with a tournament win in San Diego. She travelled the world and was respected by her peers across the game. So I was fascinated to hear if Annabelle had any regrets, would have changed anything as she looked back on her playing career. And I found her answer really insightful. There are obviously things when you look back that you wish you'd done differently or you thought differently. Um, but in many ways, it wouldn't change any of it because it's part of the journey, isn't it? And um, you learn so much about yourself. And I think sport, you really learn so much about yourself. I mean, it's a great kind of developer for you as a character. Um, having said that, I also think your character is also arrested in many other ways until you come away from the sport and you learn to develop normal social lives and um, you know understand where sport figures in your life because when you've done something since you were a little girl or a little boy um, the other sides of your life don't develop until after you stop stop competing or training because it's a very unnatural way to live actually. So this made me think about how we define success. Is it purely the trophies on the mantelpiece? Or by having the courage to make a change? To follow your instincts? Annabelle has gone on to have a hugely successful second career in the media and become one of the world's top commentators. Maybe her own lived experiences of the highs and lows, and importantly the lows actually, have given her the empathy and perspective she needs to bring the current players' experiences to life for all of us that watch the TV. I was watching Annabelle's interview back as we approach Wimbledon, and I think her honesty and this massive career pivot is so inspirational. You may be in a relationship or a business which from the outside looks perfect, but deep down you're struggling with it and you know it's not right. Well, far from being a failure if you quit, I think this could lead to your greatest ever success and be a decision that you could be proud of years and years later. I also hope that this episode inspires current sports stars. The rarefied atmosphere of professional sport seems amazing until it's gone and then a whole identity and infrastructure that we've built for 10 or 20 years becomes shattered and we're left feeling pretty lonely and irrelevant as everyone's gaze, apart from those of your close friends and your parents, shifts on to the next generation of rising stars. Annabelle spoke about the dedication in her life to tennis and how she sacrificed so much, including her education and lots of friendships. I'd recommend to any parents of talented kids to encourage a more rounded education for as long as possible because it's only when players retire or get dropped or get an early injury that this becomes a massive point of stability and confidence in making this vital transition to the sporting afterlife. As well as having amazing athletic talent, Annabelle also possesses an incredible optimism and positivity. So after she made this brave call in her career, she knew it was down to her to create a new life, not play the victim.
Yeah, because I had massive change in my life. The minute I stopped playing tennis, it was like, oh my goodness, I don't have to get up and put tracksuit on today and some training shoes. And that was quite a big change for me, actually, just putting normal clothes on for the first time in my life in the morning. Um, but I, you know, I was really positive, actually. When I stopped playing tennis, I had no education to fall back on. I had no qualification, nothing. But I just hit the phone and went about trying to get into the TV world or the media world, which in those days actually was quite unusual. Nowadays, it's far more common. But I just kind of like, right, nothing will happen unless I make it happen. I'm going to now knock on as many doors as I can and create as many opportunities for myself as I possibly can. Because if I sit at home and mope and just think negative thoughts about how depressing everything is, then nothing will happen. And I always say that to my children, you know, go out and create it because nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody will go and create these opportunities. And you have to meet people, you know, talk, socialize, just interact with as many people as possible and throw as much out there as you can. Well, those are brilliant words from Annabelle that we can all live and take inspiration from. Be bold, be positive and go and create the opportunities you want to happen. No one's going to do it for us. When I think about success, Annabelle not only made it to the top tier of the global game of tennis, but she paused and showed huge courage and tenacity in creating opportunities and then reskilled herself to be one of the most respected and leading commentators on the game. It's this champion mindset that I'll be taking away this week. And I hope you've also found some nuggets for your career and life too. Do drop me a question or any reflections through on LinkedIn or via hello at sportingedge.com. I'd love to get your feedback or any ideas for future shows. And until next time, good luck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.